Good morning. It's great to be sharing the Word of God together with you today. And uh, just also want to extend our prayers to a lot of the college students uh, who aren't with us today because they're going through exam periods. So today's sermon title is, I was scammed at church. And today is on April Fool, so this is actually the title. I'm not trying to pull a prank or anything. But one thing, just to be clear, I said I was scammed at church. I wasn't scammed by the church. There, there are distinctions there. So just to, to help illustrate why, where I'm getting at this, um, one thing that you would need to know is there's something called common sense, and then there's something called comic sense. And... So what happened was a few years back, this was before I came to serve in this church. I was at my old church. And I forgot if I've actually told this story to you guys since after a while you start recycling these different stories in your life. But I was just working at my old church as an intern. And one day, this gentleman knocked at our door and asked to talk to a pastor. So we were like, okay. And... And, and I was just working, and, and, and I'm the most junior out of everybody. I was a youth intern. There's like Chinese pastors, Mandarin pastors, senior pastors. But, but then the secretary called me to meet this person because they speak English. So I'm the only one that speaks English, apparently. And so I met up this person, and, and so I talked to him, and he was telling me how he's going through some tough times. He came, he just came from, um, the prairies, and he lost his wallet, and and then he he's trying to establish himself here, but he needs a place to stay, and he needs money for food and all that. So bottom line was, can I get some money from you guys, and then I'll pay you back at some point. So common sense then would tell you, this sounds like a scam. But for me, I'm like, well, I'm an intern, I'm in the church, and and then he also said that he tried to talk to different churches and they all shut the door on him. So I felt like maybe we should do something about this. And so I talked to the other pastor who was there and then I'm like, yeah, we should try and see what we can do. And I felt the need to help them. And so I ended up giving them some money in cash. I was like, here's some money. Hopefully you can get yourself settled in and don't worry too much about it. So I, put, I paid out of my own pocket to, to help them. And then they asked more, and like, can I, uh, uh, can you give me a ride somewhere? And then I'm going to go to the hotel and stay, and my girlfriend's with me, actually. And then they came, and we chatted more. And afterwards, they're like, can you give, give us a ride? So I, I was like, okay, I should do something. So I gave them a ride. As I was driving them, they, they were telling me how, yeah, uh, I need to, I got hooked up to this job that I'm lined up for tomorrow, but I don't have the proper uh, attire that, that, that I need to, to do this. I need steel toe boots and like all these construction gear. Can you lend me some more money so I can get this? And then I found this, um, this pair of boots on Army and Navy. He pulls out his phone and apparently has data. I was like, oh yeah, this getting sketchy, but still I was like, I should help. So I, I was like, I don't have any cash on me. I, oh, well, there's a, a bank right there. Can you go on an ATM? 
So I was trying to help, and I was like, I didn't think too much about it, so I was like, okay, sure. Pull another hundred, $140, and gave it to him. Like, here's some money, I'll help you, and hopefully you'll get yourself settled in. So that happened, I dropped him off. So, so I talked to my mentor afterwards, and like, yeah, you probably got scammed. Yeah, I think so too, but what's done is done. Well, what can I do? Then the next day, the guy, I gave the guy the number, and he actually called me the next day. And he was like, yeah, I got this job lined up, but he, they won't pay me until next week. Can you pay me more money so I can stay over the hotel? I actually said I couldn't. I'm like, I already forked out 200 bucks already, and, and I couldn't do that. And, and then I was saying, well, um, if you want, I can go to you to social services and ask for support and help. And then they're like, no thanks. And they, he just hung up on me, and then I never heard of him ever again. So for normal person, common sense would say, you shouldn't be doing this. And you, you're, you're just not very smart by, by doing these things. Like you're not trying to be nice. You're just being, you're just being a cash cow for somebody. And so as we talk about discipleship this month, uh, a lot of the times we do have to make a lot of decisions in life. And, and, and when our faith clashes with common sense or even how the world is telling us to do things, we come to this intersection, this dilemma. And so today I just want to look at the book of James and see where in that place and time, James is teaching new believers in, in Christ how to live out a life in the Roman Empire with a, with a sort of wisdom when they come to these kind of decisions. So first of all, when we talk about the idea of wisdom, what exactly does it mean? Especially to the time when, when James was writing this uh, letter to, to other people. And one way to understand what wisdom is, we can go to the book of Proverbs. And I'm sure a lot of you heard of this passage before, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So a lot of us sometimes just jump to the conclusion and think, well, wisdom just means fear of the Lord. As long as we fear the Lord, and we're wise people. But when Solomon wrote this, there, there's more to it. Wisdom to the Jewish understanding, it's not just knowing something, but it's always tied to behavior. How do you live out the knowledge that you are exposed to? So now that you know these things, how do you live it out in your own lives? And in the same time, when we talk about the idea of fear in Proverbs, it's not the sense of just be afraid of God and to tremble and, and, and be scared. But rather, this concept of fear is a sense of reverence, that you have so much respect, you have so much um, honor, and your attitude towards God is so... so um, sacred that you don't want to do the wrong thing to, to compromise the greatness of God, that you're being careful in, in your doing, and you're careful to what God has instructed us. So it's not so much about being scared, 
but more as a respect towards God and to have a sense of respect towards the teachings and the knowledge of God. And so when we come to the book of James then, it's a book that was written to, as I said earlier, to Christians at the early church when they are uh, all these Jewish Christians who first choose to deviate from the original traditional Jewish faith. So James is teaching them, then how do we live out this faith? If we say we follow Jesus, but at the same time we're still Jews. And a lot of times we thought that this book is just about a bunch of instructions. Do this, do that, go, go, be, go be nice to, to people, donate to, to the poor, and to control our tongues. But it's actually more a wisdom book. It's about how do we make those decisions and why we made these decisions to do good to the world around us. And so when someone as um, amazing as Martin Luther, he would get this wrong and say that James shouldn't belong to the New Testament because it doesn't really talk so much about salvation by faith, but it's so much about doing things, following rules, and, and, and acting in a certain way. But if you look carefully in James, there is a lot of rationale behind why he teaches these instructions. And a lot has to do with what Jesus has done in our lives, that by faith we can live out these instructions. And so one key concept that James was uh, reminding us to, to be careful of is this word that he has created, and it's called being double-minded. Being double-minded means that you are wavering, that one, in, in, some time, in some occasions you're thinking in a certain way, but in some other occasions you think differently. So you become inconsistent in your own conduct, in your own behavior, and even in the way you process your reasoning behind why you do what you do. But what exactly are people acting in double-mindedness in this time and age? What exactly are they acting in? And if you look at this passage today in chapter 3, you realize that the key conflict that is going on when James is telling us about how to live uh, a life of wisdom is the conflict between humility and ambition. It's a conflict between humility and ambition. And it doesn't take very far to, to understand where James is getting at when he talks about these ideas. So in verse 14 to 16, he, he says that, but if you harbor bitter enemy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly and spiritual demonic. So the word ambition is not so much just the idea that you have some great idea and you have the drive to pursue it, but rather it's the antithesis to the idea of humility, that if you're ambitious, you're seeking your own self-interest. If you're ambitious, 
your priority is in your own self-interest. And even looking back, when I had a post-game review of my own experience with this incident, I realized that a lot of the reasoning behind why I insisted on helping this person is not so much that I want to help him. It's not so much that I want to extend kindness, even though that was part of the reason. But the main reason why I wanted to do it was more on my self-ambition. I had this agenda that I want to prove to him that Christians are not cold-hearted people, that there are Christians out there that would do good and extend kindness even if they're not believers. And so driving under that self-motivation, that's why I went out of my way and even shell money out of my own pocket just to prove a point that I'm a nice person. Don't, don't judge us the same way as those that rejected you. So when we drive our own intentions and the way we make decisions out of ambition, we ended up doing the same way the world is telling us, that when we do good things, is about making us feel good. When we do good things, is about trying to look moral in front of other people. And that's essentially the same problem Jesus had all along with these Pharisees where they like to do good things. They teach other people to do good things. They criticize people for not doing good things. But the motivation is not so much for the sake of other people. The motivation is not for the sake of loving God. But rather, it's to make themselves feel good. It's to make themselves look better in the eyes of other people. And so if humility is the opposite of ambition, then that means that humility is a life that you live for the sake of others before yourself. Humility is a life that you live for the sake of others before yourself. And such humility only comes when you have wisdom in your heart. As James says, let them show it by the good, good life, by deep stun in humility that comes from wisdom. And so, if you are to receive this wisdom of Christ from, from Christ and from God, you would cultivate the sense that you live a life that others are placed ahead of your own self-interest. That when you extend kindness, extend compassion to others, it's a genuine interest for other people and not for yourself. And when you extend these kind of goodness, when you look at it, it, it's kind of like the fruits of the Spirit, where when you have wisdom, you'll have equally peace-loving consideration, submission, a fullness of mercy, impartiality, and sincerity. These are really similar, when you look at it, to the fruits of the Spirit that Paul was instructing in his letter. And so, the idea of wisdom, discipleship, and spirit actually go hand in hand. When you are guided 
and receive the Holy Spirit to live a life pursuing wisdom, then you will live a, a life of discipleship. When you receive the Spirit of God, you can't help but accept and follow the wisdom of Christ. And because of this humility you get from this wisdom, you will live out a life of discipleship for God and for those He loves. And in the same time, the passage on verse 13 talk about the idea of peacekeeping. And this essentially is the goal of discipleship when we talk about peacekeeping. Peacekeeping is more than just the idea of not having any conflict whatsoever. When we think of peace in our modern understanding, we think about this idea of serenity, that there's no conflict, everyone is at, at, at this calm state, and we don't yell at each other. But in the Jewish world, the idea of peace, or in their, in their Hebrew term, shalom, is more than just the idea of no conflict. But to even go further, shalom means to flourish, to bring out what is good inherently, in the created world, that God has created this world to be good. God has created this world to, to have its full potential and to pursue shalom, to, to peacemake means to help this world achieve this ultimate goodness that God has originally intended in creation. And so when we look at ambition and humility, this worldly wisdom of ambition seeks to dominate the world. That rather than trying to do good, it tries to dominate for the sake of, of, of the individual. That whatever they do, they use force, they use coercion, they use uh, their own wits in order to manipulate the surroundings to reach a certain goal. Whereas godly wisdom seeks to redeem and flourish relationally. That is not so much about dominating the other person, but to help them reach their true potential as being created in the image of God. And so when you put that all together then, oops, not working. When you put all, the, all these things together, um, wisdom cultivates humility and humility animates peacekeeping. When we are able to lift up wisdom, we'll be able to extend this sense of humility to the world around us. And when we are able to extend humility to the people, to the society that we're part of, we're contributing to God's work of making shalom to the world in a way that he has intended in the first place. But of course, this is not easy. As with every passage we learn about discipleship, that this idea of making peace, this idea of carrying the cross, often goes against what the world has taught us. And a lot of the times, a wisdom 
after Christ's peacemaking heart puts us at odds with common sense. A wisdom after Christ's peacemaking heart put us at odds with common sense. What we think is wise in the eyes of God then becomes foolish in the eyes of the world or even in the eyes of common sense. What seems common sense to us then is no longer common sense at all. And so, you think that lightning does not strike twice, usually. That it will never hit the same place. You know that the odds are so low. But does it really, though? So, funny story. During um, the Easter celebration earlier this year, I was, uh, I was just cleaning up with everybody, and, and then the next thing I know, there was some guy that came into this church asking to see a pastor. So then there's all these things that triggered at my trauma, and I was like, okay, what's going on? And, and the worst part was Gilbert left, so I had to deal with it. So... So, so he was like, hey, I talked to you in private. I'm like, sure, and, and all that. And, and, and funny thing, I didn't even realize until afterwards. He had the exact same name as the other guy that, 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 that was a few years back. He told me he's going through a bunch of situations, and he, he, he is downtrodden, dealing with some life stuff. And, and, and the bottom line was, can I ask you for some money to, to get a place to stay overnight and, and, and some money for gas? So you think that after all that, I will learn better and do all these things. I'm trying to somehow prove the point again. And you know what? I was like, I should do something good. And he said the same thing. A lot of churches turned me down. And like, there's a lot of repetition going on. So, 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 so I decided, you know what? I'll, I'll support him in some way. And I was like, I'll just get you some gas. So, so I, I was. I was so uncertain, but I ended up dragging Willis into this. I was like, Willis, can you come with me and go, go, go to a gas station and help this person? And Willis, being a nice person, was like, yes, sure, I can, I can help you. So we went there, and, and then I paid for his gas, and then, and then he was like, thank you so much and all that. But then at the end, he was like, yeah, but I still need a place to stay. Can I get some money from you? And so... So all that trauma is going through in my mind, and I was like, should I do this, should I not? And then I, at first I was trying to dodge it and be like, but what if you stay over at church or like something, and I'll, I'll stay at the church with you? And, and then he comes up with all these excuses, like, but there's no shower and all that stuff. And like, but what if they kick me out of the church parking lot, and I look suspicious and all that? And, and through all that, and at the end I was like, you know what, I'm just going to help them. I'm just going to put my faith in this and see where it goes and so I gave him $40, like, here's some money, go and get your campsite and all that, settled in and all that. So, so, so all that happened, and I was like, well, maybe I'll get scammed, maybe I would not, but if they are really truthful, I did help them, so we'll see where it goes. So that happened, and you think that was the end of the story. But about a week or two later, this person shows up at the church again. And funny story, Gilbert was not here again. And so I had to deal with this. But I talked to him ahead of time. I was like, this happened, what should I do? And he, he, he shared the same idea that we should help, but 
we should be careful. And so, so he came and he asked for more money. He was like, I need more money to stay. And, and this time I was more firm. I was like, the church has a policy that I can't just give out money blindly. And then he was like, but as a person, can you help me? I was like, so, so I was really firm this time. I was like, yeah, I really can. I already helped you once. Uh, how about I go and, and drive with you to social services and ask for help? They're like, no thanks. And he just walked away. And the same thing happened. So this is two times in a row now. And you think it would be so uncommon that it wouldn't happen. But it did. And so now there was this whole week where I was being bitter about this whole experience. Like, why am I always the one getting scammed? And I'm working for God, and I'm being scammed at the church by someone outside the church. But I think this is essentially what the idea of discipleship is about, that a wisdom after crisis, peace-making heart puts us at odds with common sense. That common sense will tell you, you had this experience. You know, you know better to not be stupid enough to give money out. But in the same time, you can't help but think, what if this time is the time when a person really needs some money and you're really helping that person? And so if you ask me if the same situation were to happen again the third time, would I give money? I'll be bitter. I'll, I'll be honest, I'll be bitter and it would not swallow well. But I feel like at the end, I would try my best to help that person, even though I've been hurt over and over and over. And that's the reality of discipleship, that maybe you try to do good all these times, and at the end of the day, you might be disappointed, you might be hurt. And sometimes it's not strangers. Sometimes it might be your own brothers and sisters. When you do good, and they give you the cold shoulder, or they turn around and they accuse you for, for some stupid thing. Or it might be your own family. When you do good to your family and try to be nice to your family and they didn't reciprocate. And common sense would tell you, you then I for not. If they do mean things to you, then you do mean things back to them. But that's what discipleship teaches us. This hard world that even if someone is being mean, being cruel, or, or even exploit you, that you still have this faith in God, in this humility that no matter how much of an idiot you might end up being, that you still live a life for the sake of other people. And this is the same way as what Paul described Jesus in the book of Philippians when he teaches the church about the idea of humility. That in the hymn he says that Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. We can do this walk of humility because Christ first walked this walk of humility himself. That he has all this choice to, to live a life without being hurt. A life to, to be street wise in some sense. But he chose to live a life 
that some might see as foolish for the sake of love to us. And as this famous verse in Batman once says to conclude our sermon, why do we fall down? Why do we fall down? We fall down so that we learn how to get back up. And that's what discipleship is. It's not so much about how to walk, but how to get back up, even at times when we fall down. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for being that humble servant to, to teach us how to live a life being obedient to God, even at times when we go at odds with common sense. As we continue to follow you, Lord, may you grant us that courage to, to not be afraid of circumstances ahead of us and to, in the same time, fear of you in reverence of this knowledge of God, this greatness of God, that we are able to live out this humility in the world around us. Thank you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.